Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Twilight Blizzard Knockreiner. Let's get oh, the blizzards boy. on. Why are you in Russia? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you haven't heard? Me and Snowden, um, we got an apartment together. Well, on today's episode, <laughs> we will be discussing two Blizzard-based threat actors and their latest activity. Uh, we'll give a quick update to our story from two weeks ago on the SEC's Twitter account compromise. And we'll end with a bit of old but kind of interesting news coming from the European Union in the realm of DNS. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and resolve our way in. Storm, snow, what's your quick blizzard? <laughs> Too obvious. All right, so let's start this week with the first news story, which is a, a twofer one, actually. Uh, starting with the first one, though, twofer, it's a twofer. Uh, last Friday, Microsoft revealed that a threat actor they've identified as Midnight Blizzard breached mm. their corporate systems uh, leading up to January 12th of this year. Uh, quick pause, Corey, pop quiz, Blizzard. What is that? You're going to do this. I need to memorize these for sure sometime. But a blizzard, I think you've given me enough of a hit with that. I immediately, I was going to say Antarctica, but Siberia, that 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 big mean old country that has a very cold part, Siberia. This is Russia, right? You are correct. It is Russia. Midnight Blizzard is not a Bond movie, although that is a pretty good <laughs> name for one, I think. You are exactly right. That would be a great name <laughs> for a Bond movie. Uh, but you are correct. Uh, Midnight Blizzard is believed to be associated with the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service. Blizzard is Microsoft's naming convention for threat actors based out of Russia. Uh, they said the attack likely started sometime in the November 2023 timeframe, and they discovered it in January 12th of this year. Uh, they believe that Midnight Blizzard leveraged password spraying to compromise a legacy non-production test tenant account in uh, Microsoft's cloud. They then leveraged that account permissions to access, quote, a very small percentage of corporate email accounts belonging to senior leadership, team members and employees of the cybersecurity team and the legal department. Uh, they stole some emails uh, and some attached documents to those emails. And funny enough, in Microsoft's investigation, uh, they found that Midnight Blizzard were initially targeting email accounts for information relating to Midnight Blizzard themselves. Uh, Ooh. So pause there for a second. Yeah, it's like spy meets spy here, where yeah, the threat actors are going to see what dirt they have come up on them. Yeah, if you know someone is uh, uh, kind of following you and you you go and reach them in order to see how much they're following you, that's a pretty bold move. Yeah. And so Microsoft, I mean, they're not the way, a government I, I, sorry, agency. Sorry about that. But I, I did want to say I love Microsoft's new names because we can talk standard. But we have talked about these. Like, I, I don't know if you said Cozy Bear. We used to make fun of Cozy Bear all the time. So this is just the new Microsoft name for Cozy Bear, by the way. So yep, that is our good correct. old friends in Siberia. I mean, Russia. They, should, they ought to be in Siberia. Yep. Um so, I mean, so what I was getting at, Microsoft is not a government organization. It's not like the FBI, you know, researching uh, Cozy Bear or Midnight Blizzard or whatever. It's literally a private organization that does work with the government from time to time on like takedowns and stuff. But I was going to say that, after... like, they, you're absolutely right. They're a private organization. They're not FBI. They're not, they have no like jurisdiction to really go after someone. 
But I would say they're a little special and they probably are investigating Cozy Bear. They probably literally are to protect themselves. And they even have a history for at least botnets, which by the way, Russian threat actors are, are known to use botnets for a lot of their attacks. Uh, to use, even though they can't legally go after someone as a criminal, they, they've been using legal monetary things to take down the command and control channel with their own lawyers uh, in situations. So I absolutely agree with you. They're, they're just a private company. They're not a real investigative organization, but they are more than a random private company. They probably are investigating privately Cozy Bear more than the average company. And they are commonly actually... Uh, we commonly see them working with the FBI on takedowns Absolutely. of botnets. Yeah, yeah. Like the FBI will be the one to get the court order, but Microsoft will be the one to actually do the takedown or take over the domain uh, is what we've seen previously. And so Microsoft, they're not the only ones that were hit by this too. Uh, so also last week, HP Enterprise published what's called a Form 8K filing with the SEC. You know, we've talked about a few times on the podcast, all the new mandatory reporting requirements from the SEC for publicly traded companies where they believe they have a material cybersecurity event, they have to report it within what, like 48 hours or something crazy like that. Well, even though HPE uh, didn't say this was a material event, they still went ahead and reported it using this 8K form. They said that uh, Midnight Blizzard themselves gained access to HPE's cloud-based email environment uh, they believe they accessed and began exfiltrating data sometime around May 2023 from a small percentage of HP mailboxes belonging to, uh, you might guess it, individuals in the cybersecurity team, as well as go-to-market and a few other business section, uh, segments as well, too. Uh, they think this was related to an earlier uh, set of activity that they noted back in May and June of last year where an unauthorized individual gained access to and stole a bunch of SharePoint files as well, too. But long story short, it seems like Midnight Blizzard is going after everyone these days that could potentially be investigating them. Like HP has got a pretty good cybersecurity team as well, too, and they're probably invested in making sure nation-state threat actors aren't hacking their stuff and staying on top of their latest TTPs. So I guess it makes sense for them to go after and figure out what they know about them. But man, that I still is scary, hate though. Government yeah. organizations going after private companies. Absolutely, and I, I would hope. I mean, we seem to see it from a, a certain type of of government, not so much from others so far. Knock on wood. So yeah, I, I we know this from our own past and from other things we've talked about, like VPN filter and Cyplox Blink. They're going after private citizen devices. They're going after devices that people use for networking and routing and security. And of course, that also probably means that they want to go after those companies' information too. I mean, if you're trying to infiltrate a device, it's great to have access to the company that makes it. So uh, they are making a lot of private organizations targets uh, for sure in a horrible way. And I, I, I think, them... a pre oh, sorry, go ahead. Seeing them specifically target the cybersecurity teams, too, just made me a little uneasy seeing that written in paper, too, as a Absolutely. member of a cybersecurity, cybersecurity team or a team. cybersecurity vendor. <laughs> the target's yeah, definitely it makes on our back. Think of a prediction we had before, which there really needs to be some sort of uh, you know UN-defined document for cyber war. 
Uh, I, I hate using the term cyber war, but it's probably the easiest way to describe this. Cyber war, by the way, is not really, we're not, we're, I, I don't think we're a see threat actor. I, I think it's a cold war. I think it's a war that sometimes happens before physical wars or, or with physical wars. But either way, we have rules for collateral and civilian damage. Uh, not always followed well in physical war, but at least there are rules that you're not supposed to go after private organizations or civilians or non-military type things. So I, I really think the UN needs to finally do something about the rules around cyber espionage, cyber war, and all this crap, because there are definitely some nation states that are state-sponsored actors that are not, not really honoring what I would think are normal human rules. Unfortunately, that also seems to be being ignored in kinetic warfare over the last two years as well, too. So I, I agree. It would be yep. nice to have at least some agreement, but man, it sure as heck doesn't prevent people from going beyond that agreement, too. I, I think the agreement is meant because in real war, the quote unquote bad state that might be do like if you think World War II and the Nazis, they're not going to really pay attention to UN stuff. But if a winner wins the war and that particular person that or, or state that didn't do the good actions ends up in the losing end of things, I do think that's when the things like the, you know, how they're punished after the fact, uh, how they're the leaders of the military are punished after the fact or what happens. It may not stop bad actors from being bad, but when you beat and catch them, it gives you ways to, you know, punish, give them consequences. Yeah, I am picturing in my head a bunch of like sweaty hacker nerds being thrown into prison with a bunch of war criminals too. That's interesting. On the flip side, I think you've been to enough DEF CONs to know that that is probably a cliche that doesn't always pan out. I've seen 100%, some pretty yes. athletic, I mean, they're getting younger, there are many genders, there, there are many identity, it's, yeah. They're not always that sweaty South Park fat guy in the basement. <laughs> no, not always. Um, so just, just me. Moving on. Just, just you in your basement. Uh, quick update from a story from two weeks ago we talked about. Remember two weeks ago, uh, we were chatting about how the SEC themselves had their Twitter account compromised, uh, which then someone posted a fake approval of Bitcoin-backed ETFs uh, being allowed onto stock exchanges at the time, and it made a marked increase in the quote-unquote value of Bitcoin before uh, the SEC came out and said, uh, that wasn't us. Well, during that episode, we were you know, trying to guess how the heck did this happen, and uh, the SEC released some information on it. So two main updates. First, the SEC did end up approving 11 Bitcoin-backed ETF funds uh, later that week, so the person that compromised the account really just jumped the gun. Uh, but most importantly for us, so they confirmed that an unauthorized third party gained access by obtaining control over a phone number associated with the account, they said. So SIM swapping. And my first thought for this was, okay, so they probably compromised their password, SIM swapped and intercepted the SMS token uh, for multi-factor authentication. Turns out it wasn't even that. They didn't have oh, wow. multi-factor authentication turned on at all. Oh. So it was more likely they <laughs> intercepted the like or used the SIM swap to do a password reset and then gain yeah. access to the account that way. So That's it turns out for a MFA second was, like you, uh, it's just going to be going like, OK, at least they had 2FA. <laughs> That's good. This yeah. took a more no, they sophisticated hack. Uh-oh. <laughs> they said uh, MFA was disabled on the account for several months. 
starting in July of last year due to a request from the SEC's like social media management team uh, with issues gaining access to the account. And it was not re-enabled after they regained access to the account. So, so on top of everything, it seems it's more a like, shared account, which is probably what makes MFA a little harder. Ugh. Yep. Makes sense why they might use a uh, like a service like Twilio or something where they could have a shared phone number to receive that MFA token. But yeah, yeah unfortunately, in this case, it looks like someone was able to gain control of that phone number and then use that to gain control of the account. And it's tough because, you know, normally we'd say, you know, MFA would protect you. But in this specific case, like if they were using text message based MFA, that really doesn't protect it, it you a whole lot from with, SIM with swap the SIM at swapping. All. Yeah. Even if they had MFA, that SIM swap attack could have been successful for one of the passwords. I do think it's worth talking about the fact that, uh, let's talk about secure ways to do shared passwords, though, with MFA, because I mean, it's a, one of the reasons in the past people don't do things like MFA is the friction of, you know, honestly, we hope people never share passwords. I think applications should have situations where if it's like a media account, multiple separate logons, different names should be able to have admin control. Actually, they do that in Facebook for business accounts. I'm not sure if they Twitter do it in Twitter is... too. It's called delegated oh, access. Then they, that's really... If you can get away from shared accounts, there are ways to have shared secrets and password managers if you absolutely have to do it in administrative situations. But the, the future is you can have multiple admins. They should just have individual accounts with that permission of their own with their own MFA enabled. Yeah, 100%. And I would put out a call to all of these software vendors, I'm sure, listen to this podcast to make sure you have these features, like being able to set up shared administrator accounts for services, uh, make sure they're not locked behind like a enterprise cost license as well too, because that's another yeah, little bit of BS kind of we sometimes see. Security. It was a Microsoft okay. thing where it was a paid feature, but then they made it free, That the same type of thing. It was a good feature for security, but you had to pay for it. Yeah, but think about those use cases. You will have marketing and things that do want multiple people to be using technically one account to post for the company. So I love delegate. It's cool that they offer delegated access. It's surprising the article didn't mention that. Yep. So at least uh, one mystery solved in that case. Uh, I, like I said, was initially like, okay, cool. At least they had MFA, but nope. Turns out when you read a little further, no, they did not. Even if it was a relatively... Uh, is sim swapping even sophisticated these days? Like you can call that 18 year old at T-Mobile and say, hey, I need help porting my phone number. Honestly, it should be because I remember, I wish I, maybe I can get it for our show notes, but there's an old Matt Honan article that was literally before I think you were even on my team, Mark. So that must've been like seven years ago that where he suffered the whole situation where you call one company it's all phone-based attacks right you call one company to get a password that gets you to the phone company and ultimately is able to change things like someone's phone number to then change someone's password the attacker was of matt honan the journalist who lost his account like we've been knowing about tech support or, or support lines as this avenue of tricking people to change passwords or phone numbers or sims forever 
they all have validation questions and validation techniques they should use. So I guess maybe it coincides with leaks, like if your social security number, your address, your birth date, if all that is leaking, then this is why privacy is important because the social engineering attackers that might have been able to change this SIM number or this, this, you know, get this number associated with a different SIM probably knew all the information they needed to, to validate as that person. But we should have human, you know, mechanisms that protect against this type of thing. So a rando person can't call support as us. Yeah, I agree. So in the case of the SEC, what do we get? Like the SEC chairman's thumbprint as the uh, second token there to change. Maybe the this number? gets to the digital identity we think should replace. I mean, not a chip in us for those people out there with conspiracies that think the government wants to chip us. I, I just want a card that actually has a certificate and might even have a RFID or something so you can hook it to something. Sure, I, I, I know people will try to clone and steal that card, but there's protections for that too. I just think countries like us and others should have a digital identity at birth for our social security number. We uh, do. It's a little piece of paper with steal. 10 numbers on it. <laughs> Admit that, that misses the digital part, Mark. Correct. <laughs> That's what's missing. <laughs> it's not a digital identity. <laughs> Backed by accurate, certificates, yes. private public, you know, certificates and the actual thing that you'll need to have. There's been a few countries, I think, in the Nordics that have been playing around with a digital identity of sorts like that, like embedding effectively using smart cards for IDs that you can use to authenticate yourself. Frankly, online. Our, our passwords would be a good option. If you get a password from the US now, you are getting a chipped password that has certificates for you. Uh, the problem is not every American has a passport port. It's something you have to buy and get only if you need it. So we, we, we have the mechanisms now that would take a whole new level of protection, right? You know, you're, you're going to have to then protect that physical thing. You have to protect it from all kinds of attacks we've known with, with other digital cards where you can do cloning and stuff. But I think you have a better chance of that than, uh, just a, the one you said, if the, the phone number validation is what are those nine numbers that are printed on a card that you give to your hospital and every damn company that asks for, including stupid loan companies who apparently it's literally can't protect printed on your military ID. Yeah, it's 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 a, why people ever use social security number to validate anything is stupid. Yep, hundred uh, percent. So moving on on that happy topic, uh, let's go right back. <laughs> to our friends in Russia, where Google's oh threat analysis group, or TAG, uh, published a post describing the latest activity they found associated with Star Blizzard, uh, which Star is Blizzard. what Google oh. calls Cold River. Uh, so separate from uh, Midnight Blizzard, but still in the same frosty region, uh, they note that they've been tracking them for several years as they focus on credential phishing activities against high-profile individuals and government organizations, former intelligence and military officers, and NATO governments. Uh, the latest focus, though, has been targeting, as you might guess, the nation of Ukraine, uh, NATO countries, and academic institutions and government organizations. They typically work, uh, Star Blizzard, by impersonating other accounts. They'll pretend to be like an expert in a particular field or somehow affiliated with the target that they're going after. And after they establish a rapport with them, uh, they would eventually send a phishing link or a document that contains a link in order to ultimately steal credentials. Uh, but this tag post from Google 
uh, highlights some latest evolutions where they go beyond just phishing for credentials and straight into delivering malware using PDFs as a lure document. So basically, they uh, build this rapport with the people they're targeting, and then they present this PDF file uh, as like a document for an op-ed that they're looking for feedback or an article or something like that. When the victim opens the PDF, it looks like all the text inside of it is encrypted. And so the uh, Star Blizzard folks say, oh, uh, well, you actually need this special decryption tool in order to go uh, to in order to go view it. So they give them a link to a quote unquote decryption utility that they typically host on a cloud storage site. Uh, and then when the victim runs that, it does actually like put out a decoy file, like it writes a legitimate PDF to disk and opens it up. So it looks like the utility worked. But in the background, it's spinning up a remote access backdoor Trojan, uh, specifically the Spica, Spica Trojan, S-P-I-C-A. I'm assuming it stands it's like for something. a dangerous word to say. I don't. Yeah, I wonder what it's an acronym for. The, yeah, that is correct. Uh, but it seems to be a pretty basic remote access Trojan. All the things you'd expect communicates to command and control, can execute shell commands, steal cookies from all of your browsers. Uh, upload or download files, enumerate and exfiltrate documents from your file system. Uh, and it retains access through an obfuscated PowerShell command uh, that creates a scheduled task, which is called a calendar checker on the host. So it seems like these other nation state backed organizations are now upgrading from just credential theft to actually delivering Trojans, which is interesting because like, I always figure malware is way more risky as a threat actor to so like stealing a credential doesn't necessarily leave any trace other than your communications and interaction to gain that credential. And then you can use it to like secretly log into things. And if they're not paying attention to source IP addresses to look for anomalies, it's much yeah. easier to fly under the radar. As soon as you start dropping malware, it becomes way easier yeah. for any endpoint protection worth the salt to identify that. Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe they For don't sure. care. Maybe they're just trying to smash and grab real quick. Off it of feels like that the state-sponsored actors have levels of uh, attack too, right? I mean, I, I think they have times they send their A team in where they really are trying to be that persistent, advanced persistent threat. I feel like sometimes they are doing attacks in the open to, I, I don't know if it's this attack, but sometimes I think they do really shoddy things where they're purposely breaking the glass and they want the alarm to go off because they're demonstrating what they can do. By the way, one thing like, you hey, didn't mention. Yeah, yeah. We broke into your house. Yes. And uh, if we're about to attack your country, uh, you should notice how badass we are because you should be scared. I think it's a, a, a psychological tactic. What do you think? This isn't new at all, but they used... Uh, Oh, I guess they were there's a command called Telegram, but it wasn't mm -hmm. used as a command and control channel as a just with some random command that they don't understand. Yeah, they mentioned Google mentioned there was a command they hadn't used. The functionality wasn't really clear, but just based off the name Telegram, you could imagine it could be like a backup command and control channel using Telegram as a protocol. Uh, it's, if it, it sounds like that may, may or may not be the case, but I was wondering because I have seen Telegram popping up a lot more in malicious activity. I mean, both as a, a Discord-like place to talk, but I, I, I have been wondering if it will show up more as command and control channels. I, again, I know, uh, that doesn't seem to be the case yet from Google's document because they're just saying it's a, a process that they're not sure what it's doing or a, a command you can send that they're not sure what it's doing yet. 
it's but a it sounds really like popular the like chat platform in Eastern Europe just in general. And so it, it would make sense that it's probably allowed in a lot of organizations. And so using it as a command and control channel would be pretty smart from a threat actor perspective. If you use other messenger apps too, it's, it also has, of course, that full encryption possibility end to end or so it claims. But more importantly, like other chat platforms don't allow large file, they allow, allow file uploads and downloads, but they tend to have limits like of 20 or 40 megs. Telegram, you can upload gigabytes. You can, it's a very popular channel because it's kind of a or, or messenger at because it's a lot more powerful in what it allows its limits mm -hmm. than some other ones. So it makes for a, a a good one for gross stuff and malicious stuff. Yep. But either way, uh, I always enjoy the research from Google's tag group. They did post a bunch of IOCs that you can check as well, too, if you happen to be a, a government agency or government affiliate might be worthwhile checking through your sim for any potential hits on that. Um, and man, I sure as heck wish Russia would just chill out and stop going after everyone like that drunk, angry person in the bar. That would be very nice. Yeah, it seems like they're more taking the approach of hold my vodka. <laughs> exactly. And watch what I Anyways, do. <laughs> I'm sure there are some very, very wonderful people in Russia. In fact, I would there, love to there, visit. There are. There are. Not right I do. This is not a testament to the citizens of Russia, many of who probably don't love what's going on there all the time. So whenever we make these state-sponsored things, know that we're talking more the governments or specifically the intelligence agencies and cyber attacking groups behind the government, not, not the people of the country. Yep, 100%. Uh, speaking of governments, so for our last story today, uh, this is actually a comparatively old, but it didn't pop up in our radar, Corey's or mine, until one of our analysts, uh, Josh, actually brought it up recently as a chat about it in front of our team, uh, where about a year ago, the European Union launched this program that they're calling DNS for EU as an effort to make the EU more independent from what's admittedly a mostly US and Chinese based uh, DNS system worldwide. So, you know, most folks will either use their internet service providers, DNS resolvers that come like straight from uh, the ISP, or they'll use something like Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1 or Google's 8.8.8.8. Um, those are overwhelmingly the most popular DNS resolvers, and they are United it's States. Is Verizon 4.2.2.1, 2, and 3? I, believe so, I think yeah. it's Verizon. Um, and so the EU recognizes that all of these are effectively outside of their control and their jurisdiction because they're U.S. organizations. It's really difficult to implement what they would consider like good controls over it from their perspective since they're not European. Um, it means enforcing things like privacy protection, which the EU does genuinely seem to care a whole lot about, is really difficult. And it's impossible to keep EU personal data from leaving the European Union um, through these DNS resolvers. Because uh, you might imagine like browsing activity for a user is personal data. And that is something that's protected by a GDPR. And seeing uh, any given person's DNS requests is just as good as watching their browsing activity because you can see exactly what their computer is doing over the course of time. And I would say people underplay. I mean, this is why your ISP is probably doing it to you every day. You're, you're paying them, but they're... This is powerful information. I, I've shared the example before. It's a common one shared in pop media where advertisements that a woman got helped her realize she was pregnant based on 
you know, food choices and drug choices before she even took her test. Uh, a lot of people have done studies that the marketers know more about some of our habits than maybe our spouses or best friends, because seeing all those URLs we're going to is powerful, powerful marketing data about who you are. Uh, and, you know, that's why privacy is so important, in my opinion. People say, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. It's not about doing anything wrong. It's about governments and threat actors should not know every detail about your life, including where you are. I mean, half, half of the sites nowadays ask for your location data, which is, I guess, and you can't find that in the domain, but it, it's, you know, it, even if you go to certain sites, knowing where you work, you know, if people saw how often I went to watchguard.com or, or certain domains or, or URLs on watchguard.com, it's, people don't realize that, like, I, I don't care if people see where I go. But it really tells a lot about you and malicious people can use that against you. You know, maybe yep. marketing doesn't seem bad to you because it's not trying to be bad. But what a marketer knows about you in the wrong hands could actually be dangerous. And so that seems to be the main driver for this project, which is basically to set up a effectively EU government owned or at least sponsored like official EU DNS resolver. Uh, so they've partnered with a Czech company called Whalebone to effectively develop the infrastructure over the course of the next two years. They said their goals are to ensure EU citizens and public institutions are secure, abide by GDPR and other privacy standards, and that their data stays entirely in EU digital space. And they also did note, it's not gonna be mandatory, it will be voluntary, um, but they want that voluntary DNS option for EU citizens. Um, one other, so you mentioned like the privacy implications and why, like, especially why ISPs will always try and be your DNS resolvers by default. There's also from a security perspective, a whole bunch of threat intelligence we can get from DNS activity. That's why Google and Cloudflare, uh, one of the reasons why they run their own resolvers. And I wonder like, what is the impact if a sizable portion of the EU begins using this government controlled DNS resolver? And now that information, I mean, not that it was necessarily freely available by being owned by a private institution, but Cloudflare and Google do a decent job of at least That's disseminating true, information. Like I didn't see anything in this, it's not a directive, but a program from the EU specifically talking about what they do with the threat intel. Sorry, I was going to yeah, comment on it. As soon as I see government controlled, I get scared. But guess what? I get scared at private control too. I wish... Well, well, we sometimes joke that cryptocurrency may not work well until you have an organization you can trust. There is something about decentralization, taking the control out of one person. So to, to your point, yes, you should worry about government control because they could also control where you go if you wanted to, if they wanted to. In this case, if you're thinking about governments or blocks of the world, today, right at this second, an EU government-controlled one I wouldn't be scared of, right? I feel like right now they have privacy in their, their I hope they have their citizens' best interests in mind. Uh, they tend to be from countries that are also part of some, some of the, I guess actually UK is out of the EU, but a lot of those <laughs> countries are very friendly with other Western countries and there's a lot of intelligence sharing going on between them. So right now it feels like EU is fine, but what if it, I mean, there is a China controlled internet DNS provider firewall 
And that's a whole different, that's a perfect example of what I think you're talking about, Mark, right? Where they're probably not going to share the threat intelligence they learn within their region of the network. They're definitely not going to let their citizens go to certain places. So, I mean, if we're going to get just a little bit political here, uh, Hungary is set to take over the presidency of the European Union in July yeah. this year. And they are pretty, they're probably the least friendly to at least other Western interests yeah. out of all of EU memberships. So there is a and, real and risk. sensor there. friendly. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So it's, so I, my, my big question is no matter what the state of the current government is, it, it seems nice. Do private citizens really want it to be government controlled? But as soon as I ask that, do you want it to be private controlled either? Because yes, you're right that Google and Cloudflare are doing an okay job of sharing today but they're 100% profit driven, all right? And if one day regulations or something change, if they can find some way to take advantage of it, that's not always in the world's interest, one day they might, depending on their leadership, the same as a government. So I'm not sure, is there any way to make certain open DNS servers that are kind of maintained by the same people like a ICANN who, uh, or the ones that manage the root DNS servers today, uh, but yeah, it's a weird it's a weird situation where I don't know who I want in control. Government might it's be fine if I trust my government, and private business might be fine when they're doing the right thing, but both of those can change. Cuz you also have to remember like running a DNS resolver is not cheap, especially if no. you want it to be like for an entire geographical region. Like yeah. the amount of processing power, network throughput you need to handle for all of those DNS requests is going to be insane and very expensive. So and with things like DNS recursion, there can be even people that purposely ask for overly large, like a tiny query that gives you an yep. entire zone list or something, which is totally legitimate in some cases, but people can abuse it to make it even more costly if for, for you to run that type of infrastructure. So it would be nice for like an open one, but it would have to be paid by someone. And yeah. why the heck would Google or Cloudflare chip in for that when it would be taking a bite up out of their own cake? So yeah. I don't know, that's at my this point, I, I don't really have any issue with this one, though, because I do think yeah. the EU government's OK. And if you question government controlled, I, I just follow up with I question private controlled. You know, uh, Google, while they may not be as my, if I use Google servers, I'm getting something for free. Uh, with my ISP, I'm paying for a service. So I don't believe my ISP should also be harvesting all this data about my DNS or have any control of where I go. Uh, Google is just offering this DNS server for free. So they could argue that, you know, we're not doing anything really bad by you have the choice of com coming here or not. So I don't know, maybe private is a little better now. I just worry, Mark, that the private can go dystopian too. Most cyber, most cyberpunk uh, sci-fi novels usually have it where eventually our system of government goes from this democracy to private organizations. <laughs> Maybe Google, yep. Apple, and uh, I don't know, HP are, are the governments of the future. HP, of all of the companies you could have chosen. You think well, only HP because it was, <laughs> I, I, you, you heard me gag and pause even saying that. I brought it up simply <laughs> because it was, I should have said Microsoft, who was also attacked with that Russian email attack. But HP was on. I'm not gonna. I'm not convinced HP will last the decade, let alone <laughs> Google, Apple, and Microsoft will be like the mega states, and HP will be the tiny little North Korea. <laughs> I, I was about to associate it with a small country, but I didn't want to offend anyone. But you picked the perfect one. Yes, they'll be the North Korea. <laughs> 
Anyways, no offense to any of our friends that happen to work at HP, but that <laughs> orders of magnitude make it for it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Either way, this I mean this news is already a year old. They're actively working on it. They still have until 2025 before the current round of funding for it runs out. Uh, when I checked out the DNS for EU website, still seems like a lot of trying to gain support and not necessarily like here is how to utilize it. So maybe we'll check in in a year and see if this even manifests into anything at all uh, or uh, if it just vaporizes as the money runs out. Who knows? Man, I for one am looking forward to our HP overlords. <laughs> it's only because they were in the story. I was actually grasping for Microsoft and that's the connection my brain made. <laughs> and you landed on HP. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Instagram. We're at watchguard <laughs> underscore technology. Is it really like I, I, <laughs> Twitter I and Instagram? Now it's like Instagram. Have we gone yeah, up or I, down? I don't know. We're just evolving with the times and going with the flow. Um, anyways, you can reach out to us on Instagram at watchguard underscore technologies. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.